1: And welcome to New Books in African-American Studies, the interview series where writers of African-American arts, life, culture, and sciences discuss their new books. I'm your host, Vershawn Young, and today I will be talking with Richard Lehman. He is one of the co-editors, along with Bernard Duffy, of The Will of a People, a critical anthology of great African-American speeches published by Southern Illinois University Press in 2012. This book draws upon nearly 200 years of recorded African-American oratory and brings together in one unique volume 22 of the most noteworthy speeches in African-American life and culture. Each is paired with the comprehensive introduction that's designed to highlight its most significant elements. The, the orators listed here range from Mariah Miller Stewart to Barack Obama. We're sure that you will find this lively exchange with Richard Liebman very informative and provocative. Please, listen. Hello, Richard.
0: Uh, Hello, Dr. Vay.
1: Richard W. Liebman is a professor of communication studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. He is the author or editor of five books, including African American Orators, a biocritical sourcebook, book and with co-editor Bernard Duffy, American Voices, an Encyclopedia of Contemporary American Orators. He has received several awards and has served as a scholar-in-residence for an NEH-sponsored summer seminar on African-American oratory. We're delighted to have Professor Lehman on the show today to discuss his latest book, The Will of a People, a critical anthology of great African-American speeches, published by Southern Illinois University Press in 2012. This book is a compendium of 22 orations delivered by African Americans over a span of over 265 years. Co-edited by frequent collaborators Lehman and Duffy, both professors of communication studies, both interested in the American tradition of public address, have spotlighted the African-American oral tradition in public testimonies, speeches, declarations, and Jeremiah's, among other possible categories of purpose in Black oratory. Limited by such constraints as space and copyrights, the speeches included are those considered great, either because the speech itself is a famous speech, like Sojourner's Truth's, Ain't I a Woman?, or because it is considered the finest speech delivered by an influential orator, like Henry Turner's, I Claim the as a Man. Whatever the reason for their inclusion, it's no doubt the speeches collected are inspirational, informative, and worth studying as part of American cultural history and oratorical history that continues to this very moment. In fact, capturing the contemporary milieu, the book also contains the first inaugural address by Barack Obama, the first U.S. president of color. So, covering an impressive range, the will of a people, gives readers much to think about, debate, and contemplate. We're happy to have Professor Lehman on the show to discuss this book with us today. Richard, can you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh,
0: yes, um, I'm a professor of uh, communication studies at UNC Charlotte. I've been here for uh, 23 years. Um, I My PhD is from the University of Maryland in, uh, in public communication. And uh, I've been teaching a class here at UNC Charlotte in African-American oratory since the early 1990s. And that's really where the book grew out of.
1: Very nice. And when you started teaching that class in uh, African-American oratory, what was the genesis for it? Well, actually,
0: it's one of those strange kind of life journey sorts of things. Uh, You actually have to go back to my undergraduate years. I was a, a history secondary education major, um, anticipating going in for a graduate degree in history, but I was on the competitive speech and debate team, and my debate coach said, you know, I think you'd like to do rhetorical criticism, as an event." and I said, you yeah, know, he explained what it was, and I said, okay, and he said, uh, he said here, I, I think you'd really like to analyze this speech, you'd have a good time with it, uh, you'd find it interesting, and he gave me uh, Stokely Carmichael's Black Power speech that he delivered at Berkeley. And so I did that uh analyzed that speech uh as you know then a, a competitive event and I was really very very fascinated and I had never you know, i it had never really come within my scope of experience before that, but I was very interested by it when I got to graduate school, I actually started on working on an m a in Russian history for a couple of years. Um and uh... decided that was not a career path for me and uh... so i switched my major uh, as a graduate student to communication studies and um oddly enough again as i was trying to piece together a schedule at the last moment uh... even though it wasn't a graduate class it was an undergraduate class uh... Lindtree niles the chair of communication studies at howard university was teaching a part-time class at night at university of maryland And even though it wasn't a graduate class, uh, he was teaching one on uh, black uh, rhetoric in America, and I thought this would be a fascinating class to take. And so I signed up for it and took it, and ever since then, uh, certainly African-American rhetoric and oratory has been a a subject of interest to me. So when I came to UNC Charlotte and had an opportunity to develop a class, I thought this, this would be a good class to develop.
1: Very nice. Since our readers um, uh, constitute a a very broad uh, audience, can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by rhetorical criticism and uh, the study of rhetoric?
0: Well, rhetorical criticism uh goes back to the idea that you know rhetoric is the art of persuasion. And so when we try to speak or of course many times when we try to write or put together films or whatever we're trying to persuade people. And so rhetorical criticism is trying to delve into and understand more thoroughly how we put together persuasion. How are we trying to go ahead and Uh, and persuade people. And that's really one of the features of the book that uh, is really one of the reasons I put the book together. That is uh, each of the speeches has a pretty extended introduction that does rhetorical criticism of the speech. And so, for example, uh, looking at uh, Henry Highland Garnett's uh, Address to the Slaves as a piece of exhortative discourse, and what does that mean to say that it's exhortative, and where do you see that in his speech as one way of understanding his speech? And and we've done that with each of the speeches, where we try to help give the reader a, a deeper way of understanding the speech And then immediately after a a, a well annotated um, and authoritative uh, as authoritative as they can be uh, version of the of the speech.
1: Very nice. So you've already segued into uh, my next question, which is (laughs) why this book? How did it come about?
0: Well, it it did come about because um, uh, of me teaching uh, the course in African American oratory. And I just felt that there was a, a gap in the literature that you had uh, anthologies that were very, very uh, uh, encyclopedic. Uh, Philip Foner's, you know, Voice of Black America, and then the the reissue of that version uh, of that um, volume for speeches before 1900, but the introductions were relatively brief. Uh, or you had a few anthologies that would give you a bit longer introductions, but they really didn't then span the of African American uh, oratory. Try to try to cover from early speeches to later speeches, and and try to pick some of the the best of those. And so this this book really was, as I said, grew out of the class where I felt that it would be useful to have a volume. That covered some, some of the best speeches. It, it, you know, in many ways, it hardly scratches the surface to look at 22 speeches, obviously. But try to look at some of the best ones. Try to get a range of issues. Try to get a range of time periods that are represented. Uh, and provide substantive introductions that help guide the reader as he or she looks at the, then goes in and, 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 reads the speech. And also not only give the rhetorical criticism, but also try to give the historical context of the speech, because obviously orators are addressing and persuading particular audiences at particular moments in time.
1: So is this what you mean in the title, um, that it's a critical anthology that it tries to contextualize the speech? It gives um, some historical uh, context, uh, as well as other scholarly information.
0: That that's exactly what, why it's uh, the subtitle is a critical anthology of great African American speeches. And it, oddly enough, also if you notice, it's uh, it, it even says edited with introductions by uh, uh, Bernie Duffy and myself because actually about half of the book is. The matter is is the introductions. Uh, you know, it's it's somewhere around 45 percent are the introductions, so that the reader is you know guided and the in, into the reading of the speeches.
1: Very nice. So many of these speeches uh, of the twenty two, um, a reader uh, that's interested could probably find them elsewhere. Um, so, why did you choose these particular speeches to uh, collect in this volume? For example, I'm thinking about um, Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington's speech, um, uh, Frederick Douglass' speech on the uh, what to the American slave is the 4th of July. These are quite accessible, so uh, why, mm-hmm. the, why, why in the book? Well, uh, actually, I think a, a, a couple of
0: reasons. Um, one one is that uh, while you could find these a lot of different places, uh, one of the things that we did was make sure that we were going for uh, versions that were as authoritative as possible. So while you can find a number of versions of Douglass's, so you know what to the Slave is the Fourth of july uh, we we did go back and line by line take it out of the publication that um, uh, that that came out in eighteen fifty two uh, of the uh, of the speech, and so make sure that we get it as authoritative as possible. The second thing we try to do with these is uh, we also try to heavily annotate them. So lines of poetry, lines that come out of uh, the Bible, um, people uh, who are referenced in passing, uh, we go ahead and annotate who these people are or where these lines came from so that the reader can know more of what the audience was bringing to it. For example, um, yeah, uh, it's not always noted that uh, the line of poetry, uh, the extended line of poetry that Douglas ends his speech with is from William Lloyd Garrison. Well, that's important since in the speech he's taking issue with Garrison's interpretation of the Constitution that you know that, that Douglas is essentially extending an olive branch at the end of it to the Garrisonians, you know even though he is very directly taking issue with their their interpretation and has broken with their interpretation of the constitution and then the third reason is that while people can find these online we did want to make it very easy for the reader to be able to read the introduction and the and the, the historical context uh, to the speech, and then go ahead and have the speech in front of them in print form that they can then take notes on or have right there for them. They don't read, have to read the introduction and then go search for the speech for the speech online.
1: And in the introduction, you talk a little bit about uh, the difference in hearing a speech and reading a speech. Can you uh, tell us what we gain from reading the speech and what we might miss from not being able to hear it?
0: Well, that, of course, in some ways, is the unanswerable question. Uh, yeah, what, what would it have sounded like to hear Sojourner Truth or Francis Harper or Maria Miller Stewart or Frederick Douglass? Uh, you know, in many ways, we can, we can only guess uh, obviously, there are times when, uh, if the audio tapes are available or videotapes are available, um, you know, one of the things that I would hope is that the book provides a springboard for uh, readers to become interested in in pulling those speeches up and listening to them, because it isn't the same reading Barbara Jordan's speech on paper than to hear her. Uh, speech to the Judiciary Committee at the Watergate hearings, or certainly Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Um, hearing it is different than reading it. There, There is, though, one advantage, though, with being able to put things down on paper, and that is, as, as you can well appreciate, is that people do write things very carefully, and sometimes when we just hear things, we don't necessarily slow down and look at the nuances of what a speaker or persuader has put on into the speech, whether consciously or, or unconsciously. And so, the the one thing that reading does allow you to do is sort of put the the words on out there, contemplate them, and read them and reread them, that you see things that you might not see or hear when you're when you're when you're listening to the speech. And so, I, I would I, I would you know, encourage people anytime they can to both, you know, hear the speech or see it and read it uh for any speech. Um, you know, I I mean just as an example, I mean I certainly see things in Obama's speeches, you know, when I sit down to start reading them that I might not have heard the you know the first the first time listening listening to them. I encourage them to, to really consume the speeches in, in both forms uh, when when you have the opportunity to do that
1: and uh what do we gain from from this i mean i I understand the um academic and scholarly um import of studying the speeches, but what as a as a culture as people individuals would we gain from reading these speeches well um i I think we
0: we gain a lot in terms of understanding where we have come from, who we are as as a people, and I mean that uh, as, as an American people, uh, African Americans are, you know, are fully uh, vested and, and important players in American history. I mean, you can, you know there's there's more examples than than, than one can think about how African Americans have influenced and been influenced by uh, American history. They're they're you know an integral part uh, of our of our history, and I, I say our. Very broadly. Um, what can we learn from them? Well, I, yeah, I, I'm going to steal a line uh, that I heard at uh, one panel presentation from a fellow, Phil Jones. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, you know, th- those who forget the past are condemned to make it up. Uh, and, and that's, I think, too often, of course, what we do. Uh, you know, we make up what we think the past is we make up what we where where we think we we we've come from and and um I think that one of the things that this does it's not just an academic study uh it really is a a study that 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 gets us looking at what people said, how they tried to persuade each other, um, who they were arguing against at the time, because when you look at these speeches, you're, you're not only seeing, you know, people, what they're saying, how they think they might be able to persuade audiences. But of course, you're also looking at it and you start to understand who they are responding to because of how they, they, they structure their arguments or how they make their appeals. Uh, so you get a sense of, of what our history was. Um, I. I don't have any doubt about the value of going and looking at African-American oratory, uh, in part because I have taught this course for for over 20 years here at UNC Charlotte. And every time I teach it, uh, the one thing I I get from it is students walking out at the end of the semester saying uh, that that was a really good course and they have a much better appreciation of who they are and who America is. And the fascinating thing is that that was as true in 1991 when I first taught the course as it is in the fall 2012, which is the you know the most recent time I've taught the course. Uh, Students, and and I get students of all ages. (laughs) You know, I get middle-aged students in there. I get uh, 18, 19-year-olds in there, and they walk on out of that course saying that they have a much better appreciation. For the events of America, for the history of America, and for who we are here in the 21st century, um, and and so I I I think that the uh, yeah you know, I don't have any doubt about the value. I don't think it's purely academic.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I actually really appreciated about um, reading the book, especially the. Um, introductions, um, the, the primary introduction as well as the introduction to each orator, is that uh, the writing is very accessible, um, easy to understand, but yes, yet extremely uh, weighty and substantial. And it actually allowed me to, to take a, a, another look at even some of the more familiar speeches, ones um that I often read and, and teach, like uh Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I really appreciated the way in which the introduction was was handled and uh as you said, annotating the uh the references that uh he draws from. Very well done. I, I really commend the work that you and um, Professor Duffy did in this book. Let me ask you this question. What is african American rhetoric, how does it differ from American rhetoric? Why is there a distinction um uh to be made uh, between african american uh orders and american orders do they draw, they obviously draw from similar sources and principles as I see uh, in your book uh but what's the difference what's the distinction
0: well that that's a good question and I'm not sure that i've got you know an authoritative uh uh, answer for that, I think that's one of the things that that is so rich about the study of this area and and something that um, i I commend to a lot of people to, to to as a question to ask and and particularly for you know those of us who 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 are academics but um, i I look at it this way, and that is um, one of the reasons that I find speech is fascinating is because at some level uh the person giving the speech uh, has to take those words on as his or her own. Uh, and, and typically they do. Okay, um, you know, short of somebody drafting a you know a speech and handing it to the person, and they just read it off the teleprompter and couldn't care less about what they're saying. Most people don't do that. That a, a speech is the spoken words coming from them. Okay, so in that sense, African American rhetoric or oratory is a public speech given by a person. Who self-identifies as as African American, um, you know that that's part of who they see they are. And whenever we speak, we speak out of our own sense of ethos, our our sense of who we are. And so, in that sense, there there is that kind of commonality between these speakers okay, that they that they have self-identified as being and speaking from the African American the African American culture and experience. Now, beyond that when you start generalizing, you run into trouble because, and that's one of the things that we, you know, we're hoping that is communicated in this volume. You have such a tremendous range of opinions, viewpoints, rhetorical appeals, ways that people speak, uh, you know, that that it it is not something to say, oh, well, that's African-American rhetoric or the, you know, the, I, I'm always, always bothered by those who will look at a Martin Luther King Jr. and a Jesse Jackson and say, oh, well, that's the black style of speaking. And, and I, you know, I I look at these and say, well, that that's a black style of speaking. It is a black preaching style of speaking. But it hardly, you know, it hardly is representative, you know, of a Francis Harper or a Miller Stewart. Uh, you know, I. Uh, you know, and you can go on and on in terms of a you know of, of a whole range of speaking. It, it certainly doesn't sound like Ida B. Wells Barnett, you know. It doesn't particularly sound like Mary Church Terrell, uh, you know. So I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm always I'm always bothered by that because uh, there when you take a look at uh, African American oratory, it really represents the range. And in that sense there is that sense in which that you referenced. That is, it is drawing off of uh, many of the things that you would find in American oratory. You know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, drawing off those sorts of the Bible, Shakespeare, uh, drawing off of those. But yet it's still speaking from... Uh, the the African American culture and, and experience. The other the other point though about African American oratory that I always make and I think it's important is that that uh, as we talk about in the introduction, public speaking has been a particularly important persuasive resource for African Americans because it was one that is not resource heavy uh you know um, many many other avenues uh the printing press for example it's expensive to maintain printing presses and it's one of the reasons that you find african-american printing houses continually coming in existence but then going on out of existence a very difficult one you know controlling radio and television and those sorts of media have typically been expensive public speaking has been a rhetorical resource that available to African Americans, and I think that they have used it extraordinarily well and extraordinarily eloquently uh, throughout uh, American history, which is another point that draws me to putting together a volume of African American speeches, but also particularly trying to look at some of those that are particularly, particularly eloquent.
1: Okay. Let me, uh, let me follow uh, that up with two other questions. The first one is in your um, work on American voices or American orators, how diverse is, uh, is that um, characterization of American? In other words, which orators do you include in that work? Oh, in, uh, uh, with, the. um,
0: uh, the, well, with the contemporary American orators, uh, which we kind of pick up right around the Kennedy years, uh, we uh, we pick up um, in there. If I'm not mistaken, we pick up. Uh, I'd have <laughs> uh, obviously Martin Luther King. We pick up Stokely Carmichael, uh, Malcolm X. Um, we uh, I think we have Faye Waddleton on in there. We have Jesse Jackson. Um, we that that one uh, came out a, a bit before uh, Barack Obama really kind of hit the uh, the waves. Um, trying to think who else we ended up picking on up in there. Uh, Barbara Jordan, uh, Shirley Chisholm. Okay, uh, you know we we tried to in that volume, you know, uh, be diverse and again tried to sample from a you know a range of of speakers both from uh, standpoint of what their backgrounds are, what their political affiliations are. Um so we yeah, we we make that attempt. Uh with that volume as with this volume, uh there will always be people who say, well why not this speech or why not that speaker? Uh but at some point uh you have to give in to the realities of that you've got space and time limitations at some point. You so right. say it's, it's 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 gotta be done. Um, my dream, you know, would be to to get a second volume of the the Will of the People on out, uh, if uh, if there was enough demand for the first one, so that we could get some get some more on out there and get some of the voices that are, are that are a little less heard uh, Very on nice. out there as
1: well. Here's my next question: uh, Many of the orators that you include in the book, uh, let's say um, Booker T. Washington. Um, uh, Francis Harper, um, Ida B. Wells, Frederick Douglass are also authors. What's the relationship mm-hmm. between the um, their speeches and their literary or nonfiction works? Oh, I think I think for all of them, I
0: think there's a there's a close relationship if you if you if you look at that because I think that their writing certainly affects their speaking and their speaking uh, affects their writing. Uh, some of them you can identify far you know far more. Um, Frances Harper, for example, um, certainly has uh, moments of just being uh, very poetic uh, in her in her oratory. Uh, Ida B. Wells Barnett uh, does come across more as a journalist, uh, even in her, her public speaking. It's very facts and figures oriented. She is reporting the facts and does not want people to uh, to dispute that. Um, Frederick Douglass, uh, yeah, you always have the sense that when he's giving a speech, uh, he, he, he has an appreciation that he, he or somebody else is likely to reprint it and uh, you will end up seeing it in, in written form. Uh, you know, as, as communicators, um, you know, I, I think perhaps scholars, you know, make a distinction. And certainly I have between the public speaking and the writing, but as human beings, uh, you know, we're, we're communicators, whether we're, uh, giving a speech, whether we're talking in conversation or whether we're writing things down. And certainly there's an overlap between all the, all the different modes of communication. You know, one is going to influence the other.
1: Mm-hmm what's your favorite speech in the in the volume
0: oh boy that's a that's a hard one because um, you have to remember I mean I I chose to speak they <laughs> there they're all ones that you know uh, I, I find as favorites boy that's a that's like asking me who my favorite child is uh, you know I mean seriously that is difficult um, yeah, I I certainly would say uh I think Frederick Douglass is the most eloquent English speaking orator. You you pick up anything by him and it's and it's just outstanding. And certainly What to the Slave is the Fourth of July is a is a good one. Uh, but we also have in the in the volume his speech at the dedication of the Lincoln Memorial. Uh which it, it isn't necessarily as eloquent as some of his other things, but it's certainly it's it's hugely interesting in how he tries to uh, you know approach that rhetorical situation. Um, I think uh, others of mine, um, you know, certainly uh, it, certainly I I'm uh, uh, I I do still have a fondness for uh, Stokely Carmichael's Black Power speech, the first one uh, African American speech that was really you know, given to me to. Uh, uh to study. Um, I I love uh Francis Harper's speech. Um, I love Henry McNeil Turner's I Claim the Rights of Man. Um Frances Harper's speech, uh, I like that one because I think it has one of the most eloquent lines in there when uh, she's responding uh, to uh, how people criticize African Americans for being ignorant. Uh, and therefore, of course, since they're ignorant, they shouldn't be given the right to vote. Uh, and she has just one of, I just, the w- most well-turned phrases in there when she says, uh, it comes with ill grace for a man who has put out my eyes to make a parade of my blindness. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that, I, that, that's the poet in her mm-hmm. yeah, clearly, clearly speaking. Um, Henry McNeil Turner, um, just, the, the, I think just the, the, the kind of spit in his eye that he's got from start to finish in that speech as he just sort of dresses down the, Georgia state legislature is, uh, is to me is, is, is inspirational. Um, yeah. So that, well, that, that, that's a hard, that's a mm-hmm. hard one. I don't know about
1: Well, you did such a great favorite. job answering it. <laughs> yeah, it's fair to yeah. say that, that, um, that you like a lot of them. A lot of them are your favorite.
0: Well, well, like I say, I, <laughs> you know, I chose them. So, <laughs> um, I, I will say I have to also give a plug, uh, I think Barbara Jordan's Watergate speech from start to finish uh, is 15 minutes of just of of just pure eloquence. Mm -hmm. Um, And when and when you think that with that one that she basically uh, compiled it over her her dinner hour, Um, she'd been making notes over the, you know, the previous weeks and things like that. But she that that was basically written over the the dinner hour. Um, That that's just an amazing uh, tour de
1: force can i Can I push you a little bit um, to uh, sort of um, attempt a, a um, definition or an explanation of of um, eloquence uh, in these speeches what What do you mean by eloquence and let me tell you why I'm asking that question for two reasons: one um, as you clearly delineate in the um, in the primary introduction to the text. These speeches are so diverse. The rhetorical styles are extremely um, different. I mean, uh, Mark, uh, Malcolm X's speech is um, different, say, from uh, Frederick Douglass' speech. Um, Stokely Carmichael certainly, um, although he has a, a wide array of, uh, of styles in his speeches, this Black Power speech is, is different from Vernon John's uh, speech. What marks black eloquence?
0: Well, I think I think, uh, I, I think uh, what marks any eloquence, uh, no matter who the speaker is. Um, I like uh, Longinus's uh, definition of eloquence, and he defines eloquence as the unity of thought and diction. Uh, that is, you know, sort of that perfect marriage of uh, what the content is. Uh, and 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 the inspirational portion of the content that is you know you you, know, you can't be eloquent about you know why we need more paper clips in the uh, supply cabinet you know you need to be talking about important things so the content needs to be important and inspirational and it has to have the marriage then with the language and the form in which we put those those ideas and and that's really the what what I take as, as being eloquent. And that's why, even though you can look at diverse styles, you still find them being eloquent because the style matches the person and the time and the message. Uh, so that, you know, a, a Sojourner Truth certainly is not going to speak like a Francis Harper. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yet, for what Sojourner Truth was saying at that moment, and what, how she was expressing herself, I think it is a, a marriage, uh, a, 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 just a, 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 a very strong marriage between how she phrases it, how she organizes it, the form of the language, and the content that she is uh, conveying to the audience. And it is inspirational content uh, that, that she has to me. And I'd say the same thing about Frances Harper. Or you know, we talk about differences you know, between the different order, you know, I, One of the reasons I, I particularly wanted to put in uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, um, uh, speech at Riverside Church against the Vietnam War is because that speech sounds very different from the I Have a Dream speech mm-hmm. to me, uh, you know, but he's doing something different in it, uh, you know, um, and, and they're both eloquent uh, in, in my mind uh but they're doing different things and so he uses different language, he uses different kinds of appeals, he uses different forms. Um and, and one of the reasons I like putting that those two in as well as putting in the two by Frederick Douglass is to remind us that you know it's it's not just that it is that that we can't think in terms of uh African Americans speaking with a monolithic voice. Uh they are individuals. <laughs> uh, but Even an individual speaks differently at different times in different places for different purposes Mm -hmm.
1: When you're when you either talk about the speeches or teach them uh, What are the more? um, What are the points within any speech that? uh, uh, Generally tends to get a a lot of uh, attention. Are there any moments uh, that uh, your students or colleagues find controversial in any of the speeches or any of the moments that they find particularly interesting.
0: Oh well, I you know, I I think they find a lot uh, of the moments uh, you know um, very interesting. Um, you know I think, but it it starts with the very first speech uh, where um, um, Maria Miller Stewart um you know uh is uh in her speech uh the one that I have in the book and the one that I teach in class where uh you know part of the uh, towards the end of it um she uh she basically uh says to her audience about how um uh they need to comport themselves uh as a you know uh a credit to their race okay which is of course a fully charged, you know, uh phrase that's on out there. And um, you know, that particularly among my African American students uh will generate a discussion because, you know, it starts to bring into this flow that you're going to look at these speeches and say that there's some things you agree with and some things you don't necessarily agree with. And, and here, here is a, a courageous woman standing up uh, amongst a lot of criticism to stand up and say what she believes. Early in the speech, she's dressing down the white members of the audience, saying, "Why aren't you hiring African Americans?" You know, basically, shame on you. And the students can identify with that, but then they kind of look and later, go, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute," you know. But it also impresses them because then I'll have some African American students who will then say, "Oh yeah, I've I've heard that within my family. I've heard that." You know, others will say, "No, you know, we've you know we we've, we've moved beyond that." And it gets a discussion then, so that you start you know, as you say, it's it's highly charged to start talking in those terms, and that's a fairly early speech. But the other thing that it does for those who say, yeah, I've kind of heard that, you know, or, you know, I've had members of my, you know, neighborhood or family say that sort of thing. Then when they realize that this is a speech from 1832 and we're sitting in class in, in fall of 2012, they go, wow, you know, some things change and some things don't change uh and they start getting that sense of that there are some continuities whether you agree with that sentiment or don't d- agree with that sentiment uh and i'll have i'll have students argue both ways on it uh you know they will um, you know it they start to realize that these ancient speeches can in fact speak to them right in modern contemporary times and you know we'll we'll get that kind of replayed on out when we get to things like Booker T. Washington's speech or uh you know um uh certainly when we get to uh you know Turner's speech um you know we will we will get that um but so yeah there's there's a lot of highly charged things in here because there are going to be things that the speakers say that they will uh they will disagree with mm-hmm.
1: um, quite clearly um If you had the space to include one more, just one more speech, (laughs) (laughs) which one would that be? Um, I
0: I think without doubt, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, I'd like to get one of her speeches on. Um, I think it would be good to get a a female – uh, voice of the civil rights movement. Um, you know, that, uh, and, and she certainly was very eloquent in a way that, you know, even though there are a number of 1960s speakers in there, obviously, uh, you know, a Malcolm X, uh, Stokely Carmichael, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, would like to have a female voice and like to have a voice that's from the front lines. Uh, and then, um, uh, that would be the first one I'd put on in. And then I, the, the second one I'd, I'd go to is uh, um, certainly I think I'd try to find a a good speech by uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, uh, get a get a female voice uh, from the, uh, you know, kind of that 1930s, 1940s period. But uh, Fannie Lou Hamer's the, the first one I'd, I'd go for.
1: Thank you so much well I've taken up a, a lot of your time today, uh, but I do want to ask you one other question uh Are you working on anything now well um I, I i
0: am but uh not only am I working on something actually uh and more perhaps uh, apropos to our discussion i I recently did come out with a a volume on um the teleological discourse of Barack obama uh, with lexington press mm. and um i've I've been excited about. Um, also, uh, having that one on out and, and talking with some people about that, um, that volume. And, and that's been a, uh, that, that's been really a, a, a delightful project for me to, to work on.
1: What's the title? Uh,
0: it's called the teleological discourse of Barack Obama. Uh, and, and obviously what I'm arguing in there is that his discourse is heavily teleological that, uh, you know he he comes at uh his uh his discourse uh, as far back as his autobiographies um really with a teleological uh uh frame of uh frame of reference
1: wow and
0: uh, yeah i yeah
1: well, maybe we can have you back on the show to discuss that <laughs> book well, I would
0: be delighted this 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 you know the I, I I would be delighted this has been a great conversation and and i, I do want to go back to something uh, that you had said earlier and thank you that uh, when you said about um how the the writing was accessible but challenging and really contextualized um I wanna thank you. That was high praise indeed. And if the if the book is able to do that then then we've hit the mark that we were setting for ourselves because we we wanted this really to be something that a, a general reader, a college student, freshman could pick on up and, and perhaps be challenged by the ideas, but not overwhelmed by by them. Um and uh you know, it it really it really is a labor of love and trying to uh, get more people uh, reading these speeches and, and, and appreciating these speeches and their place in history.
1: Professor Lehman thank you so much for joining us on New Books in African American study.
0: Well, again, thank you very much for having me.
1: We've been talking with Professor Richard Lehman about his co-edited collection, The Will of a People, a critical anthology of great African-American speeches. This book is designed to be taught in undergraduate and graduate courses focusing on American U.S. history, African-American and American rhetoric, public address and rhetorical traditions. It's also quite appropriate for mainstream audiences. The educated reader will find much to mind about the rhetorical tradition of African-Americans also and American history in general. We hope you go out and get your copy today.